Jesus, you are the vine, we're the branches. If we remain in you, we'll bear much fruit. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, you told us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And that he who believes in you, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Lord, we ask you for the streams of living water. We come come to you, Jesus, like the woman at the well. If we only knew who it was we were meeting with, we would ask you for a drink. So, Jesus, we ask you for a drink tonight. We ask you on the road to Emmaus tonight that you would cause our hearts to burn with love for you. Holy Spirit, we just confess our complete inadequacy and inability to understand the Scriptures rightly apart from your work. We need you to come and renew our minds. We need you to come and renew our hearts. We need you to fill our imagination with the glory and beauty of Jesus. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. We say you are in charge of this meeting. We say that you are welcome here. Do what you love to do and bring great glory and honor to Jesus. Give us hunger and thirst for your word. Give us hunger and thirst for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, welcome back this evening. Let's seek the Lord together through the scriptures. It's good to see everyone. It was a beautiful day today. Okay. Um, at the end of some of these sections, we're going to have time for questions and answers, like Jen said, so take note of any questions that you might have. Um, a lot of times I don't know the answers to a lot of questions, <laughs> so don't be frustrated with me if I don't know. I'll let you know that, though. Um, okay. Well, we've got the notes. Feel free to follow along if it helps you. If you find that uh, it distracts you, then the notes will be on the online if you want to download those later. Let's just review from last week so that we can get on the same page. Last week, we continued our exploration of Genesis chapter 1. In 2 Peter 3, 3 through 7, the Apostle Peter informs us that in the last days, a scoffing spirit will emerge on the earth concerning the second coming of Jesus. I don't quote that passage here, but I encourage you to read it on your own. The scoffing spirit can find expression in many different ways. For example, God isn't really going to judge the earth. Life's going to go on, business as usual. He's really not going to hold us accountable for our actions. He's not going to send Jesus. He's been waiting 2,000 years. Why would He send Him now? The scoffing spirit, Peter says, produces a wicked lifestyle of, quote, following evil desires. Peter also tells us that one of the factors that will contribute to the scoffing spirit in the last days is the deliberate forgetting of what God did in Genesis 1. On these Friday nights the last few weeks, we've been intentionally remembering the truths of Genesis 1 in order to produce the opposite effect in our hearts and in our minds, the cultivation of a sharp and alert spirit. We don't want to be lulled to sleep by the routine of life. We don't want to be deceived by the constant bombardment of lies that take our gaze off of our blessed hope of the second coming. And this is 2 Peter 3, 5. He says, but they deliberately forget, he's talking about the scoffers that he mentions earlier, that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And what we're asking the Lord to do is give us a yearning and a longing and an expectancy in our hearts, a yearning for the blessed hope, an alertness as we wait for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's Titus 2, verse 13. Last week, we focused our attention mostly on the structure of the heavens, how God, when he, when he created the heavens and the earth, how did He design it? We discussed how in Scripture, the heavens and the earth are likened 
to a household. And we looked at some verses from Amos, and he says that the heavens are the upper chambers of God's household, and the earth are like the lower chambers or the the basement or the foundation. And we just made a, a point that when we think of the lower chambers or the foundation or his footstool being the earth, it doesn't mean that it's like the basement where he keeps his dirty laundry. You know, that's what we think of with the lower chambers of our, house, of, of our house. No, the earth was very precious to him. In fact, he put his image bearers there. When God created the heavens, he stretched them out like a tent. And we, we looked at that process. And he made the earth out of water and by water. And we explored the different dimensions and levels of the heavens. So if, you, if, you, if you're interested in that topic and you weren't here last week, it's, on, it's online, the message and the notes. We also talked about how the lower heavens seem to include the air, the atmosphere immediately around us, okay? And that atmosphere immediately around us extending upward into the sky and then, and then on to the visible universe where the stars, the moon, and the sun are situated. And we also saw that there is some part of the heavens, Revelation 12 says that the demons were cast out of their place... And so that there's some place, there's some part of the heavens presently occupied by fallen principalities and powers, demons in rebellion against God, fallen angels. This includes Satan, of course, at the head of these, uh, these rebellious powers. And these powers, Revelation 12 tells us, Isaiah 24 tells us, will be purged from the heavens, from their place in the heavens. Whatever part of the heavens that they're contaminating with rebellion It's going to be cleansed. It's going to be purged at the second coming. And Revelation 12 tells us that the heavens are longing for this day. They're groaning to be rid of these evil influences that are uh, corrupting God's intention for that part of the heavens. Some people, as we talked about last week, they they speculate that that might be the second heavens. It's possible, um, but the Scripture doesn't say explicitly, but it's, it's possible. We explored also what the Scripture said about the third heaven. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, explicitly mentions a prophetic encounter he had when he was taken up to the third heaven. He didn't know if it was in the body or out of the body, but when he went up there, he said that it was an indescribably beautiful paradise. He calls it a paradise, okay? And we also, this isn't in the notes, but we talked about how uh, it was how I think it was possible that the, the Garden of Eden was modeled after that, par- that heavenly paradise, just like the earthly tabernacle seems to have been modeled, or I think it, it's, it's clear in Hebrews that it was modeled after a heavenly tabernacle. We also discussed the highest heavens, and when God created the heavens and the earth, He established His throne in the highest heavens. A throne is the place of government and authority. A king sits on a throne, and he rules a kingdom from a throne. The highest heaven is the central headquarters of God's government and authority over all creation. He is a father over his household, and he's, he's governing it from his throne in the highest heavens. The earth is his footstool, which is dynamically connected to his throne in the heavens. God is the king and governor over his household, of the, over the heavens and the earth. His household is his kingdom. Next week, we're not going to get into this, to this tonight, but next week, we're going to be looking at what is God presently doing from his throne. Because a lot of times people think he's doing a pretty bad job, okay? There's accusation that arises in the human heart if we don't have ad- adequate understanding of what God is actually doing up there and why he's doing it there now and how that contrasts to what he's going to be doing from there when he sends Jesus back. There's good reasons that God is not using his power on his throne right now to destroy wicked human beings because he's long-suffering and he's patient, but we're going to get into that. But he's also, but God is not passive. God, even though he's very patient and long-suffering with us, he is not passive. He's doing very, a lot of different things right now. And we're going to be talking about some of the things that our God is doing as he sits on his throne in the highest heavens in this present age and the implications for our lives and for, for uh, motivation for walking in righteousness and obedience. So Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? 
And so a throne, you know, with ancient kings, the throne is connected to the footstool. It's kind of one reality. And so God is, he is the father of the heavens, and he's also the father and creator of the earth. And at present, like we were just mentioning a minute ago, part of God's household is in rebellion against him, part of the heavens and the earth. The earth is in rebellion against him and, and some part of the heavens. One day, God will send Jesus to the earth a second time to remove all wickedness from his household. At the second coming, the Messiah's kingdom will be established on the earth, and the prayer burning in Jesus' heart and ours. The disciples asked him, Lord, how should we pray? This is what he answered with. So this needs to be our burden and, and passion as well. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, you're being patient with organized crime people right now. But end it one day. We're waiting for that day. Come and shut down human trafficking. But until that day that you've appointed, have mercy on human traffickers. Draw them to repentance and their victims, okay? God's fatherhood is, the goodness of his fatherhood is established both in his patience and in his commitment to end it. Okay, we're going to talk about more that more next week. So, Okay, tonight we want to ask God to fascinate us. Okay, we want, let's let the movie theater in our mind open up to the Holy Spirit and let him fascinate us with himself. We're going to talk about God. God himself tonight. And I don't know about you, but the topic that we're going to talk about tonight, it really is one that fascinates me. So let's get started. Genesis 1, 3 through 5 tells us that on the first day, God created light. The Spirit was hovering over the waters. God speaks, let there be light. And there was an explosion of creative activity and light came to be. And God didn't just create something. He, he made an evaluative statement. He said it's good. He evaluated it. He made a judgment. I like this. I like light. Genesis 1 through 5 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. When God speaks, He creates. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Notice here that night was created before the fall. You know, a lot of times in Scripture, darkness and night is used to talk about evil. But in this situation, God called the night night before the fall. And so, will there be nighttime in the age to come? Maybe. What's it going to be like to have dreams in resurrected bodies? I don't know. I don't know how that's all going to work, but um, anyhow, I'm not going to get on that tangent. (laughs) Um, So, question. Now, I don't know the answer to this one. My mind doesn't really know where to take it most of the time, but I'll let you guys wrestle wrestle over it with me. Genesis 1 tells us that the sun, moon, and stars were not created until which day? The fourth day. So when God set, let there be light on the first day, what light do you think the Scriptures are talking about? This is not a rhetorical question. I will, re- it, yeah, if you give an answer, I'm going to repeat it so that the, it can get recorded. So if you don't have an answer, that's okay. We can keep moving on. But what do you guys think? What, what, was, what, what is that? Because most of our grid for light is sun, right? I mean, we've got these artificial lights, God himself, okay, glory, good, father of lights. I want to encourage you guys, don't, don't be afraid or intimidated to share if you have something. If you don't genuinely have something, then that's okay. But don't, be, don't, share, don't not share because you're intimidated. Just want to create a real free environment here for discussion. Any other thoughts? Any, anybody else's mind start tweaking out on them a little bit when they start thinking about this? Okay, so let's let our minds tweak on that a little bit. And if you have comments, feel free to, to throw them in later.
So here's another question. What color was this light? Is it just one color? Many colors? And what did this light do? Light moves pretty fast, doesn't it? Okay. Einstein, E... What is it? E equals... What is it? MC squared? Is that it? Light moves fast, okay? Obviously, I'm not a scientist, so that, that last week that came out too, and I was trying to explain dew and how the heavens cause dew. I botched that one up pretty bad. Had no idea, actually. So, uh, just the heavens did it, the Bible says. So, uh, what color was this light? Light moves very fast. One interesting thing to note about light is how the Scripture relates it to how God has arranged and organized the form of His being in the heavens to make Himself accessible to creation. So, I liked the answer of God Himself. I like to picture God dancing in light as He's creating, maybe dancing on the water. He walked on water when Jesus came. It says that, he, that, that the, the great deep and the waters and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. Okay, so God exists outside of His creation, right? We all agree on that. The Scriptures are clear on that, okay? God has, did, has God always been or did God have a beginning? He's always been. I like to ask simple questions so that we really kind of get clarity on just uh, this, the, the truth of Scripture and it helps me keep my, my thoughts straight, too. <laughs> okay? So, God has always been. Before the heavens and the earth were created, God always was. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So, even the highest heavens cannot contain God. First Kings 8.27. We've quoted this the last two Fridays. This is Solomon after he builds the temple in Jerusalem. He asks, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. And just uh, in the note there, the Hebrew there is shamayim, and a lot of times when you read the word heaven in the singular, a lot of times it should be translated heavens like it is in Genesis 1-1 because they're usually, they're plural, okay? How much less this temple I have built. So yes, God is beyond the highest heavens. He is infinite. He's not finite. He's infinite. The created order, the heavens and the earth, and all that fill them cannot contain Him. And yet, when God created the heavens and the earth, He desired to dwell in intimate friendship with His, creation, His creatures. Now, so think, put yourself in God's shoes as much as you could, you know. He's vast and infinite, and yet He desires to have a relationship with something finite. So, He's got to come up with a plan. How am I going to do this? <laughs> How am I going to do this? I really, I have this desire... And yet, I'm. the Father says to the Son, you're awesome, you're amazing. The Son's saying to the Father, you're awesome, you're amazing, you're infinite. And the Holy Spirit is saying, you guys are awesome, but they're one God, okay? So, but if you guys can follow where I'm going with this, He didn't just want to be an abstract idea or concept in the minds of His creatures. He didn't just want to be a theological idea, okay? He didn't just want seminarians writing books about Him. Okay? He wanted to experience us and wanted us to experience Him. So, but if God is beyond even the highest heavens, how would His creatures be able to access Him? What if He wanted, to, what if he wanted His creatures to sit in His lap? What if He wanted to hug us and hold us and caress, and, and caress our hair like we do our own children? Okay? How could He arrange... Now, some of my language, I don't know the exact language, but... This is my best attempt. How could he arrange and organize his being in such a way that angels could draw near to him and hear him singing? Because you read a lot about that in, in the Scriptures. How could he organize his being in relationship to creation so that the way that he's doing that, it actually reflects who he has always been, even before the event of creation? Okay? Anybody's mind starting to, to melt? I mean... So he's one God, he's not many gods, but he's known in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so, how could he make himself available to creation so that angels and human beings could actually look upon him and relate to him in a way with which they could understand and relate? Okay? Well, I think there's some clues. So let's, God, let's let our 
Lord fascinate us with those clues. We meditated on Psalm 104, 1 through 3. One of the things God did when he created the heavens and the earth was to clothe himself in light. So Psalm 104, 1 through 4 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed, clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. I like the NIV. It also says, He wraps Himself in light as with a garment. So, let's ask Him for... Holy Spirit, we ask You for revelation. We ask You to confirm what You're doing by sending light in our midst even now. Send light. Dispel all darkness. Dispel every oppressive thing in our hearts with Your light, Your creative power, O God, we ask in the name of Jesus. So, this is letter G, if you're following the notes. Light didn't exist until God said, let there be light. Is that true or false? Okay. I got one true. Anybody else think true? Raise your hand if you think true. Okay, good. So we're agreed. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So light is something that was created. And yet God is beyond light, and so you have, and God is uncreated, so you have the uncreated God clothing Himself, wrapping Himself in something He created. Interesting, huh? So why do you think God did this? He liked it? Good answer, I like that. And Why do you guys think He did that? So, something we could ta- so that we could tangibly experience Him? Other thoughts? Every time you see light, it gives you the hope and feeling that light is powerful. That's good. I think we're all on the right track with that. And Jesus was a servant. Was Jesus like his father? He was. And God is humble, isn't He? I mean, God could just choose to constantly remind all of His creatures that I'm beyond the heavens and you're fine. You know, a lot of times we need to remember that. (laughs) I created the heavens, you guys didn't. I'm in charge, you're not. We need to remember that basic truth. But God wanted to relate to us too. And so in humility, God the Father wrapped Himself in light when He created the heavens and the earth. He wanted us to be able to get to Him. How many of you, when you've played with your kids, you ever play the getting game? I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And then, like, we're, we're going down the hall one way, and I'm going to get you. And then you turn around, and now it's time for them to get you. There's just something about getting each other that, that's, that happens in, when, you're, have, when you have children. And we all like that. We love them getting us and us getting them. God wanted Himself to be accessible to angels, to men and women. We need light in order to see. What happens if we turn the lights off and it's really dark and there's no light outside? We won't be able to see anything, right? Do you think God knew that that was going to be the case before He created us? Yeah, of course He did. I mean, He knows all things. So before God created us, He knew that we would need this. He knew that that we were going to need light in order to see, that He was going to create us with faculties of vision and sound and senses, okay? And so He wrapped Himself in that which He knew would penetrate and fill our eyes. He wrapped Himself with the thing that He was going to fill our minds and imaginations with Himself. He Himself is the movie theater, Okay? One of the, you know, is it little wonder, is it any wonder that there is such a battle for our eyes? Jesus says the lamp of the body is the eye. Is, when you walk through Walmart and you're bombarded with images, when you're on the internet, when you're driving down the road with, and you see billboards, okay? 
How many, there's a battle for our eyes. The evil one is trying to distract us and keep us from being fascinated with God by thinking that there is something that fascinates more than God. That is a lie. That is a lie. Okay? So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and fascinate us now. We just renounce the lie that there's anything in this world that fascinates more than you, O God. Awaken our imagination, Lord, in Jesus' name. So, when God in love and humility, this is letter I, wrapped himself in light, he arranged this light somehow in the form of a majestic body that could be felt, touched, seen, and heard. This body of light makes him accessible, visible, gettable. I don't know. We can get him, we can get to him, to his creatures in the heavens and to those human beings who have seen the throne room and to us in the future when we, when we see him face to face. Now, we're going to look at some encounters that some people have had in scriptures when they actually saw the throne. They saw God wrapped in light. Let's see what they saw. Who wants to go on that journey together? Let's do that. Let's see what Isaiah and Daniel and, the, and, and John saw. And Ezekiel also had an encounter, but we, I'm not going to go into that one tonight. You can read that in Ezekiel 1 through 2 on your own. Okay, so uh, Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. So whatever God, this body that God wrapped full of light that he wrapped himself with, it's able to sit. It's seated on a throne. And this throne is high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. What do you think his robe is made out of? He wraps himself, he clothes himself with light. Above him, so however God's arranges being, that there's space where seraphs can fly, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is a majestic one sitting on the throne. And what, do you remember Isaiah's response? Oh my goodness, what am I doing here? I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Oh God, help me. And God sends uh, the coal to purge his lips. Daniel 7, 9 through 10. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. I can just now, don't just think like the whiteness of your socks (laughs) or these walls, okay? Think just the brightest white light you could ever possibly imagine, sizzling your brain cells, it's so bright, okay? Burning out your corneas, okay? His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. So there's fire intermingled with light circling around his throat, and he's probably singing in the midst of that fire and the light, and it's shining forth from him, and and he just can't stop singing, and the angels can't stop getting enough of his singing. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy. And he's saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Holy, holy. Light comes forth. Fire's coming forth. And he's beautiful. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. Ah, so God, God attached some wheels to his throne. Isn't that interesting? Why do you think he did that? He likes to move. Now, why is it that God, he's, He fills the, the, all the heavens and the earth, and yet He wants to cre- put wheels on, the, on, on His throne so that He can move around and give the... You know, see what I'm saying? This is... I love... He, he's, he's fascinating. And uh, I always wondered, you know, you read Ezekiel 1, and wheels within a wheel within a wheel. What in the world is that about? Lord, help us. And a river of fire was flowing coming out from before him, 
Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So God has arranged his being so it's possible for thousands upon thousands to move closer to him or go away from that, that focus of his being. Ten thousands times ten thousands can stand before him. Okay? Books can be opened before him, books of judgment, the book of life. This is a fascinating God. This is a fascinating God that, that we're in covenant with. Letter J, perhaps the most spectacular glimpse we have of God on His throne is in Revelation chapter 4. Here we learn that at least some of the light with which God wrapped Himself is a glowing, fiery red color. Also, it says that there's an emerald or green rainbow, it seems to be made of light, that covers His throne in the form of a rainbow. And in Scripture, from, remember the story of the flood, of course, Genesis 9, the rainbow, it's a sign of, what's the rainbow a sign of? I'll just ask you. You got, you got some clues up there, but <laughs> promise, good, that's right, mercy, His covenant, He made a covenant with Noah, and He said, I'm going to put this rainbow in the sky that uh, I'm in covenant with you. And so it's a, it's a real, it's a, it's a picture, you know, in, uh, in Exodus 33, Moses, Exodus 34, he goes on the mountain and he says, the Lord speaks his name and he says, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. God gave a definition of, of what his people were supposed to think of when they thought of his name. And so, um, the rainbow around his throne captures that. The Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in love, full of covenant faithfulness. So when I think of green, I think of plants. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Plant life, vegetation, things that grow, things that are full of life. And I think that maybe the, it's possible, maybe God's communicating to us through that emerald rainbow, His commitment to life. Remember His covenant with creation from the first week? And what does red make you think of? It makes you think of fire and passion and emotion and zeal and intensity. God is intense. I mean, with that river of fires coming from His throne, those angels are not passively and casually worshiping Him. They're thinking, my goodness, if I get too close, my, I don't know if they, my wing's going to burn off. I don't know how that, I don't know how that works. But, but God is burning with emotion and passion and when you think of that emotion, picture his face smiling. He really enjoys the things that he's passionate, and, and it's a red-hot love. It's a burning love. It's, it's a fiery love. So let's read Revelation 4, 1-3. So John's taken up in the Spirit to the throne room, and it says, verse 1, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. <laughs> I got something to show you, son. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. So I've got a couple pictures here. If you could uh, scroll down to the pictures there. These are just uh, from Wikipedia. The one on the left is Jasper. The one on the right, Carnelian. Just, you, you kind of see the, the orange, red. You could almost picture some yellows in there. Now think about God. Now close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to picture the throne room right now. Holy Spirit, come right now in the name of Jesus and just fascinate. Now picture the light, explosion of light. Picture that river coming out from before His throne. Picture Him smiling at you with that that light beaming from His face. Picture just His love flowing over you in that river of fire. And picture the angels around His throne crying holy. And picture yourself with the angels in His presence. 
And picture that fiery love burning for you. And now the, it's, it's, it's kind of it, it's an explosion of that white light we just talked about. And then, and then it's, it's, it's the, the, the emerald rainbow is, is now it's being, it's flooding the room with green light and orange and yellow. And now the, the full color spectrum is, 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 is exploding and the angels are singing and the saints are worshiping. Oh, this is the God who fascinates us. So when you guys are in worship, this is a good place to kind of fix your attention. I'd be amazed how many times I just say, Lord, help me to picture your throne. And then suddenly, one time I, I, just, I, I saw I was just looking and then you, you just begin to see angels dancing. And, and this, is, this is a beautiful place where God's throne is located. And, and God's being is full of fire and light and passion and love for us. So, K, letter K, so God's body is full of color, okay? This body that he's wrapped himself with, it's full of color, and this is just me musing out loud, wondering aloud with God. So, what is it, when do you see a rainbow in the sky? Usually after it, it rains, right? And so there's, there's, there's some kind of rain, water in the sky, and then the clouds dissipate, the light comes through, and you see these multiple colors are formed, right? So what, when light and water come together, there's colors, there's beauty, okay? So when God arranged a focal point for His being, I don't, I don't know how to describe that. God can, He's outside of the highest heavens, and yet He focuses His being in a body somehow, so that we can get to Him, because we're not outside of the heavens, okay? So whatever this, the focal point for His being, the focal point for this body, wrapped in light in the heavens, um, He gave Himself this body, and I wonder, did He possibly do this by interweaving light with water somehow, because of the multiple colors that we see flowing from the throne? We've got green, we've got orange, we've got white, and uh, remember last week we talked about how there's a lot of water in the heavens. That might feel like a weird idea to those of you who weren't here last week, but we talked about it. There's a lot of water up here, just like there is down here. And so I, I wonder out loud with God, Lord, when you created the heavens and the earth, did you take some of that water and intermingle it or interweave it somehow with light so that there's this constant expression of beautiful color. And again, you know, God eagerly desiring relationship with us wraps Himself in this body. And point L, in the above visions, we see that God in this body on His throne has hands. It says He has a head. His hair, remember the Daniel vision? His hair, okay? His feet, legs, he can sit, and he sits on a throne. It feels kind of weird thinking about that, doesn't it? But God wanted to make himself accessible to us. So, uh, so here's something, just a, a thought to throw out there to you. The Scriptures say that God made the earth out of water and by water, and that God made us from the dust of the earth. We need water to live, Right? I don't, what is it now? I know that the, the scientists always change the answer of how many drink cups of water you need a day to drink. I've always heard eight. Now they all, it's all changing now. Now they say you need coffee. No, <laughs> five cups of coffee to, to get going. I don't know. How, that, that, I like that, that research. <laughs> but anyway, um, we need water to live. That's obvious. We're made out of water. Uh, we made, the earth was made out of water. We were made out of the dust of the earth. And the Scriptures also say that God made us in His image. And so, just a question, does this mean that we, ha- that we have hands and feet and heads and hair? Because in the heavens, God first wrapped Himself with a body of light, maybe possibly intermingled with water, that had hands and feet and hair, so that we could go to God and get to Him, even though the highest heavens can't contain Him. I throw that out to you. It says that we're made in His image. 
And did we get bodies when he made us? We did. Something to think about and pray into. What does that mean to be made in his image when God has wrapped himself and clothed himself with light and light is created? Again, that God is sitting on his throne in the heavens in a body of water, light, definitely with light, possibly water, don't know, is not because he needed to. Remember, he's beyond the heavens. They cannot contain him. It was because he wanted to. So what does that tell us about God, about his desire, his love for us? Now, Jesus is like his father. Philip, don't you know me? Anyone who sees me has seen the father. Now, let's let our minds bend on this one. So, just as the father in humility voluntarily clothed himself in light, something created so that we could access Him. So the eternal Word of God, the Son, followed His Father's example and voluntarily wrapped Himself in human flesh, which we know is made out of water, for our salvation. Like Father, like Son. Let's read Philippians 2, 4 through through 11. Verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in, a human, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus took on human flesh, humbled himself, and so what does the Father do? He puts him, he he, he sets him in authority, doesn't he? Now, is God the Father going to entrust authority to somebody that's not like Him and is going to do things His way? Of course not. No, Jesus is like the Father. Jesus is a servant because the Father is a servant. Jesus is humble because the Father is humble. Hebrews 2, 14-15, Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity, so that by His death He might destroy Him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Okay, I want to give a chance for questions before we go on to the next topic. Light and the resurrected body. What are the implications for us? Who wants to talk about that? Light and the resurrected body. What is our relationship going to be to light in the resurrection? But before we get there, uh, questions. Thoughts, ideas. Christine, right? Wow. So God expanding your idea of light and what that means. That's awesome. Any other comments? Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's far more of a fascinating place where the, where the throne room is than we could ever imagine. You know, Paul says he went to the third heaven. I don't, we don't, we didn't, you know, we talked about, we don't know if the highest heaven is the same as the third heaven, but the third heaven is a paradise. So anything above the third heaven that there might be is also going to be really good. And so, uh, 
And yet, we're not going to this, get to this point yet. Uh, we'll get to it later sometime in one of our teachings, I'm sure. But Revelation says that God's going to end up dwelling on the earth. So what's the earth going to look like when it gets renewed? So just uh, let that uh, draw us into fascination as well. So uh, light and the resurrected body. Let's dive in here. I think, yeah, we should be able to get through these. <clears throat> when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it says that they realized they were naked. So it says, um, verse 7, I'm just going to skip through, through uh, verse 6 there. Then the eyes of both of them, after they ate the fruit, were opened, and they realized they were naked. Now, I always thought, so, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I always used to be perplexed by that. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't... It, didn't they know? I mean, how could they not know that before? I mean, what was going on? That there's something that shifted there that obviously the Scriptures thought it needed to be mentioned, that that, that, that self-consciousness of their nakedness wasn't there before, the shame of it. So what do you guys think it means when it says they realized they were naked? And, think, and maybe even think in terms of our discussion so far, what it means to be made in the image of God. Any ideas? Do you think? What do you think? Maybe they found themselves not in the light any longer. That's good. He said, "Say that again." Uh huh. Right, they realized so they weren't clothed in light anymore, possibly. Yeah. Other thoughts? Say, so the focus could have been that they saw themselves separate and different from God? Okay. They knew that there was a barrier now? Okay. <clears throat> Self-consciousness? Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 Wall, shame, because they'd been disobedient. That's good, Diane. That's good. Other thoughts? Yep. So they thought they... Whatever the problem was, they thought they could fix it by covering themselves. These are all, this is all really good stuff. And so, you know, you guys are all touching uh, thoughts that kind of inform my own opinion. You know, Genesis one twenty seven says that God made Adam and Eve in His image. God was and is wrapped in light. So I believe that Adam and Eve's bodies, before death entered those bodies, were also filled and interpenetrated with the light and glory of God. And uh, <clears throat> I believe that when Adam and Eve sinned, this light and glory was suddenly removed from their bodies. They now had bodies of death, and the absence of light from their bodies left them exposed. And that went together with the whole package, the, diso- the shame that they felt and the disobedience. And, and then suddenly, oh my goodness, you know, and, I, you know, even what is intimacy you know, and light and the self-consciousness and all that, and, and, and just the light of God covering the relationship so thoroughly that it's always pure. You know what I'm saying? It's always pure. And, and so I don't know how all that works, but just uh, it's a fascinating conversation to think about when you know that we were made in God's image and God was wrapped in light. And, I, you know, to think Adam and Eve, clo- you know, it's interesting, why do animals sometimes still afraid of human beings, you know? What was it that they saw when they saw us in our unfallen state, you know? Especially when they're much bigger than us a lot of times. Maybe that was the light that they're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, the light of God flowing through us. Anyway, uh, it doesn't say that explicitly, so this is a, a, this is a deduction, but just an idea. And it, 
And the, it's, but it's not just a, I don't think it's just a guess either, because Acts chapter 3, the Apostle Peter tells us that God's going to restore all things. Well, a restoration means that He's going to restore something that was lost, right? Well, we learn clearly that in the restoration, our bodies are going to be filled with light. So I think it's a logical inference that we had light in us a lot more than we do after the fall. Okay? So, point D... When Jesus was raised from the dead, He was given a brand new body. And this body was a real physical body of flesh and blood, i.e. water. And yet this body was and is also interwoven with the light and glory of God. So Luke 24, beginning of verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. So, Jesus seems to do some things here to really make a point that he's got a body, doesn't he? What are some of the things that, that he does? What's that? He fed his body with fish. Barbecue, there you go. Okay, who likes fish? I love fish, so Jesus ate fish in a resurrected body. That means we're probably going to get to. He made a point that to feel. I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and blood. Okay? But this body just wasn't, it wasn't just flesh and blood. Okay? And I love the, the, the picture you have in Revelation 1 where the Apostle John sees him. Go down to verse 14. He says, he sees Jesus. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Adam and Eve saw God wrapped in light when they walked with him in the garden. Now, isn't that interesting? A lot of times in Scripture, God suddenly appears and disappears. Light moves fast, doesn't it? Now, think about it in terms of light. You know, God's wrapped in light. You think he can just and then, psh, I don't have words for psh, psh, so <laughs> whatever word you would use to describe psh, psh, ing, um, then that's what he did. Because he wrapped himself in a body of light, and light moves quickly. Okay, uh, sorry, I lost my spot, uh, point E. In our fallen sinful state, we have bodies of death, and because of this, we're presently unable to approach God's light, but the biblical hope is that one day we will see God's face again when we receive resurrected bodies. This was the yearning of Job's heart. And the yearning of my heart, guys, I, I long for the day to walk in the cool of the day with my Maker face to face. Face to face in a body of light purged of death. Now, 1 Timothy six fifteen through 16 also talks about God being wrapped in light. And it talks about His unapproachableness. It says, God, the, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. I think that what he's talking about here is the, the unapproachability of the light in a non-resurrected state. That's what I think he's saying there, because uh, we'll read some passages below. In Daniel seven three thirteen, it says that when Jesus... In his resurrected body, the Son of Man, it says that he is led into the throne room and he is allowed to approach. And obviously the angels and the 24 elders are approaching him. And they're seeing him and they're, they're, they're encountering that light. Okay? And so um, that's why I think that he's, he's probably talking about this in, uh, primarily about us in, in before we have resurrected bodies. Job nineteen twenty five through 27 he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, 
And he's, he, his hope was also the same hope we have in the Messiah's return. In the end, in the day of the Lord, when God comes to restore all things, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, i.e., after I've died, after my skin, my body it has been destroyed and it's rotting and decaying, yet in my flesh, is he saying, yet as a ghost? No. He's saying the same thing Jesus is saying. In my flesh, in my body, I will see who? I will see God, okay? I myself, he's not just hoping for the other guy. He's hoping I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, oh, how my heart yearns within me. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, cause our hearts to yearn for the thing that Job yearned for. God, we long to see you face to face in resurrected bodies. Jesus, the toils and the difficulties of this age are nothing compared to the surpassing weight of glory that's coming to us. Help us to see what Job saw. So, for followers of Jesus who persevere in the faith until Jesus returns... We will be once again filled with light. When Jesus returns, He will give us resurrected bodies that are like His resurrected body. These bodies will be full of light and the glory of God. When we no longer have bodies of death and are clothed in light, we will see God's face wrapped in glorious, marvelous light. God will take His finger wrapped in light and wipe the tears from our eyes. What's that going to look like? The finger of God came down on Mount Sinai and inscribed those tablets with light. Through light. I don't know how he did it. But something happened and, the, and, and, and it came to be, okay? Philippians 3, 20-21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control... He has the power to fix this earth, and He's going to do it. He's restraining because of His patience with the wicked, but He will do it, and He has power to do it. He has, pow- he has Genesis 1 power at His disposal to make the wrong things right and to purge death and remove it from our bodies. And through that power, He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Jesus received a body full of glory and power, and light. God the Father said on the third day, Come forth, Son, be clothed in light. Boom! And suddenly, this, you can just picture this as He's coming forth from the grave, this whirlwind of color circling His body, an explosion of, of colors, and, and, and that white, radiant light, brighter than the sun, bursting forth from His being. Oh, Father, yes! Yeah, it was worth it. And just the the joy exploding in Jesus' heart. Our body is going to be like His glorious body. Daniel 12, 2-4. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Guys, we want to be part of the first one. Okay? Verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, okay, and those who lead many to righteousness like what? Like the stars forever and ever. This, if you want to know the end game of the Daniel Institute of Prayer and Missions, this is it, that human beings end up like this, whatever it takes, okay? Matthew Matthew 13, 41 through 43, Uh, Verse 41, the Son of Man will send out His angels. They will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Again, don't be a part of that category when Jesus returns. Verse 42, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But what about the righteous, the saints in Jesus, covered by His blood, faithful to the end through the most difficult trials and storms? Verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. They're going to shine because who shines? God, their Father, shines. He who has an ear, ears, let him hear. Father, give us ears to hear this in Jesus' name. Romans eight eighteen. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing 
with the glory that will be revealed in us. Don't give up. Don't yield no matter what pressures are coming against you. They don't compare to the light that's going to flood your being in the age to come when you have a resurrected body full of the light of God and the glory of God. Revelation 21, 4, verse 4. He will wipe away, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What's it going to be like when the Father of light, full of light, with a, with a hand that he's chosen to voluntarily give himself so that he can do this kind of thing, reaches down and wipes those tears? Oh, Father. God, we just long. We long for you to bring this age of suffering and violence to an end and to fill the earth with light again. God, to remove everything that keeps us from being fascinated with you as you truly are, God. Holy Spirit, we ask you, Lord, to give us grace to truly cling to the hope of this time when you come in glory, Jesus. God, it is our hope. It is our hope. The earth will not always be like this. Our bodies will not always be like this, Lord. Colossians 3, 3 through 4, verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. What that means is when the world sees you, they don't see a resurrected body yet, but you're filled with the Spirit on the inside, okay? But when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory, and you're not, your life in Christ isn't going to be hidden anymore because you're going to be shining, and everybody's going to know it. Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, I think I, re- I just read that passage. Um, uh, Letter G, Jesus was resurrected in a body filled with light and glory. In that body of light and glory, he ascended ascended to the right hand of his Father, clothed in a body filled with light. And in a body full of light, he approached the Father. In his resurrected body, Jesus was able to eat, engage in life on the earth. He was able to ascend into the heavens. And our resurrected bodies will also be able to to do the same. I can't wait to fly. Can't wait to fly. Jesus ascended up. Why can't we? So I'll let you read those passages. So I just want to conclude. <clears throat> I'll get uh, Josh maybe to come up and just... Um, no, no broken guitar strings this time, huh? Amen. <laughs> so let's just sum up here and just even begin asking the Holy Spirit now as I'm concluding how He might want you to respond. We're going to have some time just uh, for response But remember, in the beginning, God wrapped himself in light. When he created us in his image, he also wrapped us in light. I believe we can infer that. This light was the glory of God. In the fall, the light and glory of God departed from the human body. Now, we have a body of death. This is not right. God hates death. It is not right for us to have bodies of death. It is not right for the cells in our body to decay. But, as the Apostle Peter says in Acts 3.21, when Jesus returns, he will restore all creation. This restoration includes the restoration of our bodies. Jesus' resurrected body is full of light. He is the picture of what it means for a human being to be refashioned into God's image because God is clothed in light, God the Father is wrapped in light. Jesus, the image, the snapshot, the representative of the Father, the image of God is clothed in light. When Jesus returns, our bodies will again be infused with light and glory so that we shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father, the Father of light. But we must persevere. In this age of persecution and trial, we have this treasure in jars of clay, but this light and momentary afflictions will be eclipsed by an eternal weight of glory in the resurrection at the second coming. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, 
I'll just let you read through 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 11 on your own. Grab the notes. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would just give us grace to set our hope fully on the whirlwind and power and presence and fire of your light and glory to be given us at your appearing, Jesus. Don't let us be distracted. Guard our eyes while we're in Walmart. Guard us, Lord Jesus, from every unclean thing that would, that would seek to, to distract and, and rivet our eyes and capture our attention on things that are unholy and unrighteous, that dull us. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that this week you would fascinate us with your light, that you would surround us with light, that you would heal bodies with light as a testimony of the day when you come as the one clothed in light. Lord, I pray, God, that you would enlighten our understanding. God, I ask you to root us and ground us in the place of prayer. You are not boring. God, you are not boring. You are fascinating. You're more fascinating than movies. You're more fascinating, Jesus, than anything we could ever imagine. You're glorious. You're beautiful. God, you're full of fire. I pray that even this week, everyone in this room, Lord God, would have would have encounter with you, that they would be taken up to the things that, and see the things that John saw and Ezekiel and Isaiah saw. Lord, fascinate us. Blow our minds. Blow our minds, Lord God. God, we pray that your light would drive out the darkness in our inner being. Drive out all darkness, Lord, with your light. Drive out all darkness with your light. God, I pray that you would fuel us in the place of prayer with your light. Lord Jesus, I ask you, God, help us to pray. Help us to love you. You're worthy of it, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy of it. Let's respond to the God of light. Lord, this week when we read the scriptures, fascinate us with the God of light. We love you. In Jesus' name.